The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Ellis Martin Report. You'll hear expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. We want you to know up front, companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. Some of the analyst segments are sponsored as well. On the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with a frequent guest of the show, David Morgan, the silver guru, an expert on money, metals, and mining, also a lecturer and an author. Mr. Morgan has written Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, available on Amazon.com. His website is TheMorganReport.com. David, welcome to the program. Great to be with you, Ellis. Today we're going to talk about client company of the program. The company is Prophecy Platinum, and they trade on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NKL.V. And in the U.S., on the OTCQX, as PNIKF. And you're a shareholder of this company, David. That's correct, Ellis. This was a, an indirect recommendation. We had recommended Prophecy Coal. And at the time, we had recommended Prophecy Coal. In fact, I did a mastermind video update with John Lee, the CEO of Prophecy Coal. And they had the Wellgreen project, which is a platinum nickel copper project. It's actually a very good source of PGMs, platinum group metals. And long story short was that the company decided to spin off the platinum structure, or the platinum assets, I should say, to shareholders of Prophecy Coal. So even though Prophecy Coal is still on our list, if you got into that company at our suggestion, you would find yourself a holder of uh, Prophecy Platinum. And so if you combine the two assets, you're probably still down to the original investment, depending on when you bought it, but not that significantly because this asset's uh, very good. And it went very high pretty rapidly when it was announced because, one, the uh, metals prices were doing much better than they are now. Two, when you get this kind of, I'll call it a gift or a spinoff that's very advantageous to the shareholder. But if you bought Prophecy Coal, we suggested you would be owning Prophecy Platinum at this time. Prophecy Platinum isn't directly on our list uh, at this time, but as I said, most of the people that are members of the Morgan Report own the company, and myself is, is included. Well, this seems like a great bonus, considering they may have one of the larger platinum, palladium, nickel sulfide deposits in North America, especially considering that there's trouble in South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Russia, the typical suppliers of these metals. Exactly true. If you look at platinum group metals, and platinum specifically really, for uh, distribution, 75% is mined out of South Africa and about 14% out of Russia. So 75, 85, 90, you got like 90 to 95% is in jurisdictions that are maybe not favorable at this time. And now you've got this deposit in Canada that is very stable. And the other advantage is the cost structure. Because there's so much nickel and copper in this deposit, it looks like it'll be able to be open pitted, which is a much more easy cost structure 
than the type of mines that usually find platinum, which are very, very deep and extremely expensive. Cost of getting platinum out of the ground, the total costs are about 1700 the ounce. Gold around 14. These are averages. Now, I don't want people to get all upset that, oh no, this company, it's, you know, it's this much. And that's true. I mean, it varies. I'm talking about the average price now globally, but that's about 1700 the ounce. The Wellgreen project, according to their CEO, is probably around the eight nine hundred dollar range. So, obviously, they have a pretty good margin, much greater than many mines in the world. And I should add that this is not a mine yet. This is an exploration project, but a lot has been defined. But they probably got a couple of years left to go to do the feasibility study, pre-feasibility, feasibility, get the debt structured, financing, or however they're going to do it. They might do it with equity and get this thing into production. So certainly it's not a producing situation yet. I want to make that clear. But nevertheless, you mentioned the cost structure being what it is in, in South Africa. Platinum is still at $1,500 an ounce. So it's, it's really more expensive to produce it over there than it is in uh, potentially in, in North America right now, even though we're a couple of years away. Exactly, and that kind of goes into the whole precious metals complex. I mean, if you look at gold, silver, platinum, palladium, and every one of these metals is right now at near the cost of production, average cost of production globally. In other words, again, the average price for gold is around 1400 You're sitting there a little below that. Silver, you're in the 20s, low 20s or so. We're at 20. Same thing with platinum. So whenever you have a commodity that is under the cost of production, obviously the mining concern is going to say, why should we bother? We're not going to make a profit. And so some projects get delayed, some get closed, some get put on hold, some get curtailed. And this is happening. I mean, this is happening across the board. Not every mine, of course, but several mines, a couple on our list, in fact, unfortunately, decided just to pull in their horns and uh, just wait wait for better prices and of course some of the big ones I mean Barrick is definitely the stalwart that uh, we've never recommended never really cared for Barrick but uh, nonetheless well the difference between platinum and, and palladium compared to gold and silver is at any rate gold is very very speculative silver is still an industrial metal but with platinum and palladium we're I'm specifically referring to catalytic converters and as you know in, in China three out of every ten individuals have automobiles compared to the US which is nine out of every ten and they're still gearing up that's a huge industry so the need for these catalytic converters especially in a country that is just beginning to become environmentally more friendly and they have a long ways to go this is this is all very very important we have a lot of headroom with platinum and palladium compared to necessarily uh, gold right now well I think we do I mean it depends on an individual's take on the global economy whether it's moving up down going sideways and of course there's pockets of things that are doing well and there's other areas that aren't so you really have to focus on the auto industry I mean platinum really has two main demands it's the catalytic converter so the automotive industry, you could say, and jewelry. Jewelry is pretty popular in Japan for uh, platinum products. And, of course, there's some spillover in the United States. So depending on what your view is on the auto industry going forward, that's the main driver. But I think I want to point out something that is probably known by our audience, but maybe not, and that's how rare platinum is. I mean, it's 30 times scarcer than gold and gold is extremely scarce so platinum is called the noble metal for a reason it's, it is very rare and so if you factor in 
even a moderate growth or even a flat curve for the auto industry for a year or two or whatever. But you also factor in the problems with globally with producing platinum and how scarce it is and what the above ground supply is. You can see, and then of course there's the speculative interests as well. I mean, you've got ETFs that specialize in physical platinum and palladium. It's an extremely small market, so it doesn't take much new buying depending on any source, automotive, jewelry, speculation, long-term investors, anything to move the market up. So based on the fact that it's under the cost of production, there's all these issues surrounding it, and the upside looks far, far better than the downside. The risk-to-reward profile is extremely good in my view. And on top of that, I normally suggest people buy the metal first. I would be consistent and say that's a, something to do here or certainly consider. But for money spent, I think probably one of the best ways to play it is to go ahead and get in on a company like Prophecy Platinum Corporation. I mean, it's, as you said, NKL.V on the Vancouver. Remember, I own it, so factor that in. But we've gone from the spike high when it was spun off of a buck eighty down to 60 cents. And this stock, in my view, has built a base around the 60 cent level from about mid-April on, so you've got like three and a half, four months of a nice base here. And if it starts to come up, you'll have a, a cup and then probably a handle and then you'll start coming up. So I could see this thing making a nice cup up all the way to a dollar and then breaking up above that. So to be able to buy this company around the level it's at right now, I would suggest you consider it. Now let's talk about Greg Johnson, the CEO of this company. Were you an early shareholder in Nova Gold when he was the chairman of that particular company? I was not, but uh, David Smith, who's my senior analyst, was. David's owned Nova Gold on and off from pretty much the beginning. So no, I haven't. Well, Greg, as you know, has a, a great success record, and I believe the company, the parent company at the time, uh, Prophecy Coal, they must have courted Greg, according to what I remember from our conversations, and and he was holding out, waiting for, for a company he could believe in between his uh, present venture and the previous venture with South American Silver. Management's really important. E even though the resource is great, you need people at the top that are steering. He's got a fairly good track record. Agreed, and agreed on both counts. One, I agree with his expertise and his, you know, he's so already proven himself. And I also agree with, you know, what you said, and it's hearsay to me, but it's, it's you know, I can validate it, and that is that he wasn't going to take on any project. He was looking for one that was distinguish his career further, I, I could put it in those terms. And this is one. I mean, again, I'm looking now at a chart going back to like 2008. See, when this thing was spun off, it actually did just like a rocket shot up to $5 and traded there. Of course, again, some of my people sold some. We were quite enthused about you know how well this company did. Of course, we know it got ahead of itself. Not saying it's going back to five immediately, but the market at one time valued the stock at five, and now it's at sixty cents. So you know it's been going down like all the metals for the last couple of years. But it has built a base, and uh, looking at other companies that really haven't bottomed or found a base yet, something I'd be comfortable saying technically look good. This one does. David, let's talk about the Morgan Report. Sure. First of all, I think there's a couple things that I want to point out that I haven't done quite some time. And one is that with the advanced service, which is the basic plus service, you get a lot of videos that are updates on companies like Prophecy Platinum that are in the suggested model portfolio. And we, at conferences or sometimes at the Silver Summit, 
uh, usually at the Silver Summit or other places, we'll take our camera crew and we'll do an interview with the CEO or geologist or somebody in the company and get an update that's on the video. So you have access to that, and that's basically for our members only. Secondly, any macro picture that I look at with either a trade, a potential trade, the bond market, the stock market, gold, silver, the U.S. dollar, all those things were on video, and that's in the members-only section. So all of that is brought to you by an alert system that's unique to the Morgan Report. As far as I know, we are the only one in the industry that has this. You know, Doug Casey does not have this. Uh, all the other writers in the space, and I know almost all of them, don't have this. But what you do is you get this installed with your subscription, and it pops up a pop-up on your computer whenever we do an update or even the newsletter. So anytime something's coming from the Morgan Report, it pops up a little window and says, you know, this is available to you. So that way you don't miss it. So if I see something I think is needs your attention immediately, we have the ability through our software to get it kind of right in your face. And a lot of people like that because if there's a major turn in the market, they want to know about it. And it's a reminder for like the newsletter. I mean, rather than like search their email or whatever, it's right there. Oh, the new month's issue is out. And then they just click it and they're into the membership site without even having to log in and they're able to read it. And that's as good on alerts or updates as well. So something we put a lot of effort into and I haven't really talked about. If you want to see how it works, if you go to our YouTube channel, Silver Guru, I'm not sure how to search YouTube that well, but it's on our channel and it is the alert service. So if you got on the Silver Guru channel and I think you searched further if you can and typed in something along the lines of alert service for the Morgan Report, it'd probably pop it up. Not too many people have viewed that video, but it does give it. Also on the website itself, if you go to the right hand side to subscribe, we made a video of each of the services. So you can watch the video and get an idea of what you're going to get. A lot of people write me still and say, well, should I subscribe? What do I get? And I just copy the URL and say, well, watch this video and it'll show you what you're going to get. Well, David, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, this time on Skype, and we've been talking about in this broadcast Prophecy Platinum Corporation. You're a shareholder, and they're a paid sponsor of the Ellis Martin Report. They trade on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NKL.V, and here in the U.S. on the OTCQX as PNIKF. I've been speaking with David Morgan, Money, Metals, in mining, newsletter writer, analyst, lecturer, speaker, author. David, it's always a pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks for joining us today on the Ellis Mark Report. Thank you, Ellis. My pleasure. You can listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartreport.com, or find the Ellis Mark Report in its entirety on iTunes. Getting hungry? Eat knowledge. Find it at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. Dudley Baker is the editor of CommonStockWarrants.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Dudley, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's good to be back, Ellis. It's been a while since we, we've spoken, and uh, a few weeks, actually. And the last time we spoke, the market had taken a, a, a nice upswing uh, in mid-July. Here we are at the beginning of August, and, and we seem to have some momentum this morning. Any particular reason in your mind for that? Well, I don't really know the reason. We're still, uh, I guess I'd like to say we, we're not going to feel really 
bullish until we get over this 1350 level. Uh, we're, we're rapidly approaching it here uh, as we record this on Monday morning. Uh, but uh, you might say I'm like a lot of investors, so I see this. One, one thing I've been planning on doing myself is topping off a few of my current positions. I was, I was not anticipating this up move in gold and silver today, but I'd already planned on uh, <clears throat> you know, placing a few, a few buy orders, just topping off some of my current positions uh, and increasing the holdings, let's say. So I was able to do so uh, as we speak at uh, basically the same price they closed at on Friday. So some of the, the smaller companies that, uh, that I like are, are not all that... Uh, uh, you know, market sensitive here to one day, but uh, so anyhow, I was glad to glad to increase those holdings. But I do think that <clears throat> obviously the market is a look firm right here. Uh, still, I still am, am am cautious that we could go back down one more time into September, late September, uh, possibly uh, put a new low in place for gold and silver. Uh, hate to think that nobody wants to hear that. Uh, this is just kind of following the lead uh, of a few other people that we do follow in the business. And uh, if that happens, that would set up a serious bottom and then probably an instant rise off of that. But when I'm increasing my holdings, I'm thinking that even if the markets do go down, my little stocks that I'm buying at these prices are not going to go down much lower than they are today. So. Cautiously optimistic. Uh, I know I've probably been saying this for a long time, but I'm excited about, really excited about where we're going to be a couple of years from now. So we're just in the final stages of solidifying this bottom. So you're topping off, to recap, you're topping off some of the positions you, you've liked with the smaller companies along the way, and you, you've seen some opportunity, and this is this has nothing to do with the, the rise that's happening this morning, which you believe is uh, just going to be here for a little while before we see another uh, contraction of sorts in September, which other folks have been uh, talking about as well with the general market, especially the Dow, yeah, for instance. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Now, let's face it. It's, uh, if, if there's enough strength here in, in, in golds particularly, to blast through this 1350, you know, get us back into the 1400 range. At some point, you know, everyone's going to capitulate and say, you know, the lows are in place. Period. Uh, and and that's why me, I'm I'm kind of hedging here. Limited cash resources remaining here at the moment, and uh, but a couple of these little stocks that I'm topping off uh, here this morning are so low and have been beaten down so bad, uh, I know that in any given day they could easily jump, you know, 25 to 50% just on a little bit of volume and a little bit of excitement. So I was almost happy to get these orders uh, executed here this morning. But yeah, I, it is hard to say, you know, there's very few people can just say 100% bullish, it's a go, or 100% bearish. So you get caught right here in the middle a little bit. And we're still, to me, in in the in the crosswalk here, and uh, but definitely leaning leaning to the bullish side, and want to be uh, as much on board as possible here in, in these in this resource sector. Perhaps there's been a bunch of technical buying. People are on vacation right now. Not everybody's watching the the, the markets mm-hmm. like like you and I are. 
and I guess the new benchmark perhaps is 1350-1400. We're, we're going back about, what, uh, two years? <laughs> and, and, and Well, it seems like two years, but it really, it really hasn't been that long, but it seems like it's been a lifetime uh, in this big uh, downturn and consolidation. Well, there's a lot of... Cons- but, uh, we're, we're really- yeah, go ahead. Well, there's a lot of consumption with regard to uh, precious metals, uh, gold in particular in Asia. That's never stopped. It's it's becoming harder on the retail end to, to actually purchase. So uh, I think it would be safe to say there's been a, a ton of market suppression that just can't hold forever. Yeah, I, I would agree that that's, uh, that's the case. Uh, you know how is all this going to play out? I don't. Know, it's probably going to be a good, a big currency situation. Uh, you know, with the currency wars, and you know, we we've seen this for quite some time. But it's, you know, I think ultimately uh, gold is going to rise uh, as it usually, you know, comes to the forefront once again. And uh, it's uh, I, our our view now, and again. Our personal view has always been looking out a few more years into this uh, 2016 time period, and uh, and a few others are coming in coming into this time period for uh, yeah looking for projected top, uh, and that uh, you know it, it's a matter of when we look at gold, we've got to we've got to we just can't think gold's going to go up for the rest of our lives, you know. It, it's got to be we're playing we're playing a cycle we're playing something here whether that's an economic cycle the currency cycles whatever but we, we've got to define what kind of time period are we looking at and and some of those that I'm following are really looking now into the two, 2016 as being peak of this next cycle say in gold and and if so we're in the Forming the bottom now, perhaps the bottom's in. Uh, we're going to be looking at these great opportunities, but when this peak hits in 2016, it's going to be at substantially higher levels than what we're trading at. You know, many multiples of this 1300 range and silver at 21. So, you know, uh, again, you get back to the views of you know the 4,000 to 7,000 range on gold, and I mean that's just outrageous. Uh, most people now would just laugh and from what we've just been through. But uh, I still believe this is gonna happen. And those that have had the, the ability to weather the storm that we've just gone through, and have held position, or have been able to increase their position in some of these little shares, I think are all gonna be greatly rewarded. Uh, and it's been difficult. Uh, you know, we'll be the first to admit that uh, Probably every newsletter writer in the business has been personally challenged as well. You know, we've all got money on the line in portfolios. You know, some may not be quite or want to be quite as frank as others, but, you know, everybody's underwater. And uh, it's been a challenging time, but I think there's, uh, there's much better days coming for those that are still standing at the end of the day. Well, this sector basically has gone through hell, and by that I mean all the mining companies, a lot of the investors, people working in the business, people that you and I know, and and and, and us, you know, we're not uh, oblivious to uh, 
to what's going on financially. But you're mentioning 2015, 2016, two years out, a, a peak in two years, and a, a bottom coming soon, whether it's whether it's now or whether it's a month away. Uh, basically, what you're saying is there's a lot of fun to be had between now and the next two years. Uh, if we're at a bottom and prices could go anywhere, five to $7,000 an ounce, which is unbelievable as you and I speak, it's entirely possible. So the good times are on the way? Oh yeah, yeah, no, they're just, they're just around the corner and, it, and it's, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, the, 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 the saddest thing in the world would be if an investor has been in this resource sector for some time and has just capit- recently capitulated. And of course, if they capitulated, they may not even be listening to this uh, talk that we're doing right now. But that would be the saddest thing, that they've weathered these cycles, they have rolled out here at the bottom, and are going to miss the party that is going to take place, you know, a couple of years down the road. And and it, it has been difficult, uh, but I've always been 100% confident that there is a significant move coming to the upside, six, six significantly higher prices, let's put it that way. And, uh, you know, finding that exact date uh, and weathering this recent storm has been a challenge for all of us. Uh, but it is still coming. This is probably the last great shakeout, one of the greatest shakeouts here that, <laughs> that there's ever been uh, here in the resource sector. And, uh, and that's why it's so, so important that anybody still weathering the storm, uh, you know, try to, try to think uh, out, out of the current depressing, uh, you know, when you're looking at your portfolio and the current depressed prices, I always like to think, you know, if, if uh, you know, always we're looking uh, still for, you know, 500,000% multiples, you know, going forward. Uh, the question is, will all of the, the companies still be in business? Uh, more so over the next few months, how many will be able to weather this storm and keep their, keep the lights on? Uh, that's going to be the challenge for you know, maybe some of the companies that I own, the, the really small ones. Uh, so that's the challenge. But, but better times are definitely coming net-net. So during the last five, six, seven years, during the amount of time that you and I have known each other going back maybe uh, you know that long, and all the fun we've had and all the profit that, that we've seen and your subscribers have seen, and the high uh, that gold reached, uh, I don't know, $1,800 an ounce, that's just practice? That's been nothing? That's just been a, a very small taste of what you believe is coming? <laughs> Dudley? Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess you could put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you could, you, you could put it that way. Yeah, it's uh, practice. It was, just, uh, it was just one of the... You know, one of the, one of the up cycles there, and so it was just time for a correction to to blow off the excesses that we created. You know, when gold went to that eighteen nineteen hundred, and silver went up and kissed the fifty. So we just had to do, you know, recant the uh, the excesses there. Uh, we sure never anticipated the down the down move that we got gold, silver, and particularly in the shares. Do we do we have but, to see uh, do we have to see some kind of currency collapse of some sort to see gold at seven thousand dollars an ounce? Well, what has to happen for that to take place? I mean, there's got to be there's well, got to be on a scale. There's got to be this happens, so that happens. 
Yeah, no, no, I hear you, and 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 I don't know. I, I still think it has to be some kind of a currency situation. You know, a big plunge in the U.S. dollar, uh, maybe the euro, maybe in everything, and gold just is going to be the the cream that rises to the top. Uh, you know, it is a deal. We just can't say that say gold's going to seven thousand. Uh, it's not going to do that just to make you and I happy or our listeners. It's going to happen for for a damn reason, a serious reason, and and there's going to be maybe a lot of other serious issues going on in the world when that happens. And uh, but I I'm believing more that this is going to have to happen with some kind of a currency. Uh, you know, whether this is just the plunge in the U.S. dollar. I mean, it's all 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 we know. I think uh, all of us individually is that virtually all the countries. Not only countries, I mean, uh, every state in the United States, every city, everybody is being challenged financially. Virtually everybody's in debt. You know, how is this whole game going to play out? And, and you know, I don't have all, all the answers. Nobody does. But I'm comfortable that where we want to be to play this is in, in, in the assets by being in the gold, the silver, and in the shares. Now, the other aspect that comes into play, if there are serious issues in the world, that the money, it wants to be an asset. You definitely don't want your money sitting in a, maybe in, even in bonds or, or sitting in a bank somewhere in the world, but you want it in assets, even if those assets mean buying shares, say, on the New York Stock Exchange and the, and the big companies that, that will always weather the storm. And so, you know, there are views out there that, you know, the Dow's going to, 30,000 plus. So don't keep your money in money. You know, uh, watch how much cash you're, you're hoarding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you want you want the, the you want your dollars in in assets that if uh, you know that can can rise uh, and rise uh, you know greatly in value here. Do you have your uh, do you have do you have some of your do you have some of your stocks in in blue chips? I mean, some of your cash in blue chips. You know, I'm uh, always an honest guy. As we speak, no. Okay. My antenna is is up. Uh, it is it is up right now because, as you know, we have uh, with the with the business common stock warrants, we've recently expanded into the U.S. marketplace covering all of the warrants. And we find some interesting warrants that are trading uh, in the U.S. Uh, on the New York Exchange or on the NASDAQ. And, uh, you know, there's one one in particular that we are looking at. We'd love to see a little bit more of a pullback, but it's on a big oil and gas and pipeline company. Uh, and, and that would be, uh, uh, to me, a good position to be in. The warrant's trading around, uh, you know, $5 range. Uh, and uh, but it's the, the other day this warrant traded literally it traded over three million warrants in one day in that five million dollar range. Now we're talking serious money. As I told my subscribers, this is not little guys buying buying warrants. This is some serious funds, etc. Moving, you know, in this case, fifteen to twenty million dollars into the warrants. And we're just seeing some incredible liquidity in a lot of the warrants trading in the United States. 
and uh, and so it's really got my attention now and I'm trying to in, in the initial point of kind of putting my list together of which of those companies in the United States might I be interested in but coming more from the standpoint of of the warrants where I can leverage what I'm doing stay with what I like to do with the warrants and uh, but get into some great companies that are going to take us out beyond this 2016 period so United States a lot of these warrants are, are going out to 2018 2019 it's going to give time this whole cycle coming up uh, to the upside and so I'm excited about those opportunities. Again, my first love will probably always be the resource sector, uh, at least until the cycle is completed. And uh, But there's just great opportunities out there in the world. And so we've had a, a, you know, new folks joining us that, uh, that are really looking at the, at the U.S. markets for, for those opportunities. Tell us about CommonStockWarrants.com, your website, and how people can become involved or p- become a subscriber to your service, Dudley. Yeah, well, just just visit the site. We've got a great. Uh, if you don't know what a warrant is, uh, you're. I'm going to say you're you're missing out. Uh, it's uh, they've been around since the early 1920s. So we've got a lot of good information for you. We've got a great learning center if you do not know about them. Uh, and uh, yeah, we've re- just recently redesigned the site. It looks pretty cool and. Uh, but really, we've got in separate databases, we've got all of the Canadian companies that have warrants trading uh, in the United States, a separate warrant database for all those companies. We're currently looking at probably 185 or so companies that have warrants trading. Some of those have companies have multiple warrants trading. So we're approaching the 200 warrants that are actually trading uh, that you and I can go out and buy. And so it's a matter of which companies do you personally like? And, uh, and if you like the company, then you know, consider, consider that warrant. You know, we give you all the detail. As I like to say, we've got the list. We're the only place that has the list. All the warrants that are trading, all of the detail on all the warrants, the leverage calculations that we do for you as a, as a subscriber. And so we give it all to you as a, as a subscriber to Common Stock Warrants. So we really encourage you, you know, come take a visit. Uh, we've got a wealth of information. Uh, and for, for most, I still do a, a Thursday uh, Thursday afternoon audio, little recap of the market, highlight some of the news on some of my personal holdings. And so uh, it's really it's really been a journey here. Uh, yeah, we would have preferred for this downturn not to have happened. But, uh, you know, we've personally been in business here now since 2005. So, uh, you know, we've seen a few of these uh, events happen. And, of course, me personally, I've, I've been an investor for a long time. So I go back, you know, roughly 40 years, I guess, being involved with the markets in some way, shape, or form as an investor. And uh, so we're looking forward to this next big rise. And deem that, you know, if you can find some good long-term warrants, this is the way to really double up and catch up, you might say, with the additional leverage that we're going to get off of the warrants. Well, Dudley, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. It's great catching up, and I'm excited about the next two years, and we just have to work our way through it and, and look at some great opportunities in the warrants market, and also with regard to precious metals, precious metal stocks. Thank you so much for joining us today in the program. 
Good to be here, Ellis. Thank you. Enjoy the day. I've been chatting with Dudley Baker of CommonStockWarrants.com. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, EllisMartinReport.com. Do you like sharing? Sharing this with your pals. Find these segments on the podcast page of our website, EllisMartinReport.com. That's EllisMartinReport.com. This is Ellis Martin with the Ellis Martin Report, and I'm at the home in Los Angeles of Natalia Nogalich. Natalia, how are you today? I'm doing great. Natalia is a star of stage, screen, television, and she's just a very cool woman, and it's a real pleasure to be with you here today, Natalia. Well, thank you, Ellis. Now, many of you listening to this particular podcast, this segment of the Ellis Martin Report, probably know Natalia from a little-known TV show called Star Trek. Natalia was on several episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation and also Deep Space Nine as the head, the chief honcho, the, the head cheese of Star Trek, the Queen Admiral, Admiral Alina Necheyev. And she just returned from a Star Trek convention in Las Vegas where she spent several days up there meeting her fans. Natalia, you should be exhausted, but you don't look exhausted. You look beautiful. Well, thank you, Ellis. It is both energizing and enervating to be with fans four or five days in a row, a steady stream of them. Thousands of people come to these conventions. They come up to your table. They not only want your signature, but they want to talk. They want to know like what you do when you're not doing Star Trek. Because for them, they come there thinking Star Trek is the beginning, middle, and end of all things, which to a certain degree it is it is a remarkable phenomena but it's a lot of fun to sit and talk to stand well I sit they stand okay that's fair um I'm the admiral after all and have them talk to me about gee have you done anything else besides Star Trek as if that were the only thing uh, around but you know what it's probably the most wonderful thing I've done in the sense that it's the gift that keeps on giving. I've heard you say that before, the gift that keeps on giving. And you were on Star Trek in the 90s, in the late 80s? No, uh, early 90s, 93, 94. Hmm, okay. Early 90s, 93, 94, still a while ago. And as you said, the gift that keeps on giving. And just to refresh those of your memories that are not uh, uh, ringing a real bell right now, um, we remember Natalia specifically from her interchange with Patrick Stewart's character, what was his name Captain again? Picard. How can I forget that? How could you? Well, I've had a little <laughs> bit of wine, okay? So <laughs> I forget things after a little bit of wine. Jean-Luc and Picard. Jean-Luc Picard. Yes. And your character never cracked a smile on that show to my memory. No. I, I had a, a mild smirk on the last episode, but never a smile. Well, he was not obeying orders, and I had to take him to task. Now, I, I've got a question for you. You took him to task on more than one on more than one occasion. Was well, he Pat- was naughty. Was Patrick Stewart, the actor, afraid of you when the camera wasn't rolling? No, I don't think so. When we called cut, he invited me to dinner. Now, so I don't rum- think he was afraid. Now, there are rumors about that dinner that afterwards maybe <laughs> there, there was something no- going. There's nothing, there's nothing <laughs> to report about that dinner except that we had a lovely dinner. But when uh, they called rolling, we were worthy adversaries. I mean, he didn't crack a smile with me either. As a matter of fact, when I pointed out to him that he had an opportunity to destroy the Borg and he didn't take it, and the next time he should be sure to take it, he looked me in the eye and said, Yes, sir! <laughs> So he was kind of getting his digs in, too. Look, I was just trying to protect the Federation. 
And he had to take this kind of, you know, sloppy humanitarian viewpoint. Were you on some sort of uh, power trip because uh, you're a woman and and you had to prove yourself as a as as a woman? Uh, did that make you more fierce and more domineering than you ordinarily would have been? No, because I was a superior officer. I didn't have to push for anything. I was his boss. I wasn't mean. I was just in charge. We've seen other we've seen other people in charge on Star Trek, captains and admirals before, and out of all of them, you're more notorious than any of them for I being am. stern and mean. I am, and I cannot understand that because I was standing up for principle. And in fact, I have often um, a couple will come up to my table, a woman and a man, and the woman will say, "You were great the way you told him what to do," and the man will say. You were a B-I-T-C-H. Can I spell on your show? Well, you can, can even say, say the word. On and one show. man actually asked me to sign the autograph, Admiral Bicheyev. <laughs> and his wife swatted him with her purse and said, she wasn't a bitch. She was just running the ship. He said, yeah, it reminds me of home. And then there would be a big argument breaking out, but which I would, of course, uh, uh, render harmonious within a few uh, moments, but it's it's really interesting the the way people line up about Necheyev. They either uh, appreciate that she was tough and a woman, or they're mad at her for being tough and a woman. And um, the fact is, Picard was very loved, and so anybody who stepped on his toes, which I did, I not only stepped on his toes, I relieved him of his um, captainship for a short time. Not to mention how I dismissed uh, Jonathan Frakes' character. Uh, Number Lute- one? Yeah, Lieutenant Riker. Rikes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, funny stories when I got, when I mean, I was always dismissing him as, as the admiral. When I got to uh, do an episode of DS9, he was directing it. And I didn't know that till I got on the set. And he looked at me and he rubbed his hands together. He goes, now I can get back for all those times you were mean to me on Next Gen. It was very You're funny. You're talking about Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan Frakes, yeah. Um, he was great. We had a lot of fun, too. But, you know, it's uh, there are clashes of authority in a hierarchical situation, which Star Trek was and is. It's like the military, which is why so many military are huge fans. I met a Marine yesterday in Vegas who told me that General Franks and some of the other generals were huge Star Trek fans and used to watch the way certain M.E. me uh, uh, characters would handle their um, inferiors. And get ideas from it. Now, I don't know, maybe this Marine was telling stories out of school, but I don't think so. So you're saying some of the some of the military higher-uppers, higher higher-uppers. This is what I'm told. They got ideas from, from, from Star Trek. From Alina Necheyev. Yeah. Can you believe their... that? Yes, I can, actually. Yeah. It, it was, it, it all goes back to the writing. You know, I have to, I have to take up, you know, bow my head to that because they wrote a great character and they wrote worthy conflict between me and um, Captain Picard and also between me and Captain Sisko, Avery Brooks, marvelous actor as well. Um, and we went at it too. So they, um, they just didn't want to obey orders. And perhaps it was fueled by the fact that I was a woman. I don't know. Now, you were having a lot of fun with that. You must have really enjoyed the the energy uh, in uh, in that sort of situation with your with your officers uh, as an actor. Uh, what was that? Tell us about that experience. 
Well, I did enjoy being um, the authority because everybody became very quiet when I walked on the set. I think part of it was, you know, you're a new guest star. I did four, epi- six episodes and all, but... I think, so when the camera's not rolling, you, they, they still they get kind of quiet. But I think it was because, I'll tell you what I think. The very first episode I did, I had a lot of dialogue. I had a lot of dialogue during which I dismiss Picard of his um, uh, rule for the moment while I take over. And so the the director staged it that I'm walking up and down this long table, conference table, where all the main characters are, you know, um, Riker and uh, Marina... Sirtis, who played, um, I can't remember her character name offhand, but about four or five of them. And they're all sitting very quietly watching. And I think inside thinking, I wonder if this guest star is going to get all this dialogue, right? <laughs> That's what I sensed. And of course I did, because I'm a professional and I work very hard when I get a role. I study, I write biographical um, notes and on and on. And it went well on the first take. And they and they sort of exhaled afterwards and said, wow, she got all the words. <laughs> so they were um, both supportive and I think um, somewhat impressed, perhaps, if I may be so bold. But they were also wonderful. I enjoyed working with them. They're top drawer actors. And... Besides Star Trek, I mean, I'm looking at your resume here, and I, I'm pretty sure I see 100 credits. Oh, I'm yeah, easily. Easily 100 credits. You oh, yeah. you recently were on NCIS, CBS. Mm. You, were on, you were on an ABC series, uh, Red Widow. That was this past few months. Mm-hmm. You are on Bones, Nip and Tuck, Strong Medicine, uh, The Unit, West Wing, Ally McBeal, Pretender. Uh, in in films, you did, you, you've, done, you've done quite a bit here. There's a long list of film and television credits, uh, you haven't stopped working. You work Mm -mm. all the time. I work all the time. I am so blessed. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I morph in all my characters. I'm not one of those actors that gets recognized much because I change for each character. I'm more of a a character actor. And um, either I change my hair color or I change my, my dialect or something is different. If you looked at my demo reel, it looks like a um, something from the United Nations because I have so many different languages and dialects. And, and um, I think that that's contributed to the longevity of my career because I'm not just playing Natalia from Chicago, you know. Well, people have seen you in, in many, many, many television shows and, and feature films, and you look nothing like... Alina Nechayev, nothing like her at all, although you could, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so you're not recognizable as that same person from Mm -hmm, Star Trek, but mm -hmm. so your Star Trek fans should really uh, check your IMDb Mm -hmm. online (laughs) and and then start following everything that you do because you've you've done quite a bit, and you have been cast often. You're known as someone who can do Eastern European dialects and characters, and you are Serbian. You're a Serbian-American. That's correct. And you speak the language, and you're very passionate about your about the home country, and you've written a book. Yes. Which I've actually read. Bravo. I've read the book, and I read it first because I had to. Yeah. Uh, I'll just say that you and I are friends. And That's fair. And you gave me the book. It's fair. And, you know, people give you books and CDs here in L.A. all the time. They please listen to my record, give me your feedback, look at my film, read my book. I, I had the book for, for several weeks, and I hadn't read it yet for, for two reasons. Because 
you know, to make the time to, to, to read a book. I'm kind of lazy. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just being honest. Okay, that's one and, reason. And, and, What's the second reason? And I bought reason? the book. I bought the book from you. <laughs> yes, you uh, did. You, know, I, you paid I, good money. I paid good money for it. It's a nice book. I'm holding it in my, my hand. The book is called One Woman's War, and we'll discuss that in a few minutes. And then... I decided, you know, Natalia, I need to I need to have the ebook because that's how I read. So, you made sure it was on Kindle and Barnes and Noble's Nook, and then I downloaded it and I read the book and I could not put it down because it was just that good. I felt like I was reading a, a suspense thriller, like the old Matt Helm books, uh, oh, the wow. Dean Martin books back in the back in the '60s, and also a combination of uh, of uh, Paulo Coelho. Wow, I uh, love his work. Because, and I say that because there's a lot, there's a lot of intuition written into the theme of this book, which we'll get into. There's a lot of synchronicities. There's a lot of synergies. There's a lot of moments that people running into each other. There's a lot of coincidences, mm-hmm. and you know that's part of life. Yes, it is. And and this story is about a Serbian woman who I uh, can I say that she lost her son. Can I say that? Well, you did, so I guess you can. Well, it's can, fine. Can, no, can, it's fine. Okay. Yeah, that's the I, inciting incident the, of the of the whole book. That's yeah. the inciting incident of the whole book. And what happens before that, during that period, and after that. And I'm really not going to give away any of the plot because mm-hmm. it's just so good. Unbelievable. And you can say whatever you'd like about it. Well, it surprised you, right? It had twists and turns that you didn't see coming. That I was never, that's nothing was ever to telegraphed me. to me at all. Good, good. Nothing, I couldn't figure it out, which is mm-hmm. great. I don't like to figure out how, to, how a movie's going to go. And that's pretty good because you're very good at figuring things out, I've noticed. I've Since I've known out. you. No, you, you normally do. So I'm glad I was, uh, was able to keep you guessing because I think that um, one wants the, a book to have have a, a good dose of unpredictability and yet an element, a little element of inevitability. But m- basically, you don't want your reader getting ahead of you. You want them to be running to catch up. You know, a great deal of the book is is a, is the struggle. I call it one woman's war, not because she is necessarily uh, a, a singular warrior, although in a certain sense she is, but the levels of battle that are within her since her grievous loss, the conflicts that go on inside her, the conflict that's going on around her in her village in during the Balkan strife of the 1990s, and the conflict of of revenge versus forgiveness is one that has always intrigued me and also I can see as an issue in any country in this world it's not while my book is particular to the Balkans because I researched it there I'm from there I know what I'm talking about there it could also be in any number of places where an individual experiencing loss wants to get back and how do you fight that impulse which is completely human but is it civilized and how do you reconcile that and and so it is suspenseful because I don't think you know which way she's going to go and I'm certainly not going to tell your listeners and this is a love story (laughs) and it's a really yes it is fascinating love story and I'd love to ask you about the characters and their motivations but I'd be giving away the story and because it's just that amazing and and you literally don't know how it's going to any of these turns are going to wind up throughout the book right until the end you just don't know 
I'm so happy to hear you say that. That's uh, that's a writer's dream to feel that they kept kept their reader guessing. And I, I agree with you that once it got on Kindle, you were more willing to read it. That's happening with a lot of people. A lot of my friends are saying, thank gosh, it's finally on Kindle and I can read it easily because people just aren't carrying books around anymore. But it saddens me because the cover is so pretty. It's a, well, you should, you should own the book. You should own the book and, and put it in your library. And, as a first and edition. As a first edition. Yeah. And you should also, if you have an ebook, download it right. and, and read it that way. Right. Because, you know, I've been reading books for my entire life of uh, many, many, many decades. And I, I like to have the book. I like to smell the book. But if you have an ebook, you just don't want to carry around. A, no, it's a, a lot easier when you're traveling. You can have 10, 12, 20 books with you on your Kindle. I was given a Kindle for Christmas, and I have to confess it sat in my uh, desk drawer for a while. And then when you and others said, you better get this puppy on an e on an ebook um i finally have my book was the first book i downloaded on my kindle and now i have you know a number of others so it is good it makes it's amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com or itunes if you want the actual book am, amazon.com but it's it's makes it much more accessible to people and i'm happy about that i want everyone to read it it's it's a good book but look You've got thousands and thousands of thousands of Star Trek fans who, who who want your photograph, want your signature on the photograph, everything about you, everything Star Trek. They would just get the book just to have the book. I sold a bunch of books at the convention, and um, it is the first of a trilogy, by the way. Um, and uh, they're all waiting for the second one. I did have to warn them it didn't have anything to do with sci-fi <laughs> when they when they bought it in Vegas, but they didn't seem to mind. They wanted to find out what was going on in uh, in Alina Necheyev's head when she wasn't on the set, and one individual bought it, and the next day, he must have read it in his hotel room, the next day he came back to my table and he said, oh my God, and he started quoting passages of the book. He hadn't finished it, but he had read a good chunk of it in the first, in one night. And uh, he, when he came to me saying, and when you said, and then he would quote a passage, I said, oh my gosh, I forgot I wrote that. <laughs> it was very heartening. And he bought it because he liked Star Trek, but then it turned out he liked the book. So I'm grateful. I'm very grateful. Well, we're all uh, we're all a little bit of a literary snob, and to be able to read this book and to want more, I mean, it's just a credit to your abilities as an author. I mean, you're an incredible actress, but who knew? And uh, on the cover of this book, I'm quoting David Mamet here, Pulitzer Prize-winning writer and, and director. Miss Nogalich writes with compassion, humor, and deep insight. It's a beautiful book. That's what David Mamet wrote about. Yeah, you. he liked it a lot. And he's one of the he writers of all writers. He liked it a lot. Uh, he is. He's a superb writer, and to have him give me that stamp of um, approval and applause uh, just made my heart sing. So I, um, I feel very happy with what I accomplished in the first one, and now I'm working on the second one, and, you know, one always wants to be able to live up to the first one. <laughs> I'm also working on a screenplay for it. You said you were doing mm -hmm. that uh, mm -hmm. in a previous conversation, mm -hmm. and, but that screenplay won't come out until uh, after the trilogy's done, right? Oh, yeah. I've got to get the trilogy done first. I'm not a foolish woman. No, and yeah. you're a beautiful woman besides oh, that. Can I say that? You. Yes, you can. Fantastic. Yeah. I've been speaking with Natalia Nogalich. The book is One Woman's War. That's one Woman's War. You can you can buy it online, Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Get the hard buy the book itself. I'm holding it right here. 
buy this book and then get the ebook besides that if that's your choice of reading materials. I'm Ellis Martin. It's been great having you along, Natalia. Oh, Ellis, what a joy to be with you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Ellis Martin Report. You can listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com, and download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes. Join us next time for the Ellis Martin Report. This is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals pay us to let you hear all about themselves. Remember, invest at your own risk. Get more of these powerful programs free on the web at ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.